0: Those of you who may not be familiar with our understanding of the biblical role of elders, we believe that elders are to know, lead, feed, and care for the church by shepherding and overseeing its people. While Christ is certainly the chief shepherd, establishing and building His kingdom, elders serve as under-shepherds stewarding the local church. To prevent personal kingdom building and to hold elders accountable, God has ordained that the church be led by a plurality of elders rather than by one personality. As we mentioned over a month ago, we have been in the process of increasing the size of our elder body based on the needs of the church and the recognition of the called. This morning, we have the distinct honor to affirm Joel McCarty as an elder. Here at Summit, we understand the Bible to teach that God gives to the local church a plurality of elders to oversee and shepherd her members. The scriptures provide qualifications, responsibilities, and warnings for those who have been called and set apart to this role. At Summit, we take the biblical qualifications seriously. As a result, the private assessment process is an extended and open-ended period of time. For Joel, this has been somewhere around two years, during which we have examined his character and calling. We held one-on-one discussions, had Joel read various books, discussed theological issues in both oral and written assessments, as well as examined his missional lifestyle, spiritual vitality, marriage and family, disciple-making, etc. And on March the 10th, the elders publicly announced Joel's candidacy for eldership inviting members to question him during a period of 30 days of open questioning. Today, after this full assessment of character and calling, we, the elders of Summit Crossing, publicly affirm that Joel McCarty has been called and set apart by the Holy Spirit to be an elder. Joel, before I say anything else, please know that I deeply regret that I could not be there personally with you today. But I am thankful for the technology which lets me share these words publicly along with the other elders this morning. As you know, the responsibilities of eldership are broad and weighty. But for time and simplicity's sake, they can be reduced to just two things, the Word and prayer. Deacons were established so that elders could dedicate themselves to the Word and to prayer. All of the work of an elder, whether it is pastoral or oversight in nature, must come from the Word and must be prayerfully considered. This is because the flock which we are called to shepherd is not our own. Joel, we are called to shepherd the flock of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Because we shepherd and oversee the flock of God, There are some stern warnings for us who are elders. Having been given responsibility for the care of the souls of God's people and for the preservation of the doctrinal purity of the church, it's understandable why James said that we would, quote, incur a stricter judgment. Knowing that savage wolves will come in among us, not sparing the flock, and knowing that some will not endure sound doctrine, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own doctrines, and will turn away their ears from the truth. Therefore elders must contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints." So Joel, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, Who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Joel, as you minister well to the flock of God over the many years of your life as an elder, I pray you will work hard in this manner. Help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. With that said, as Paul encouraged the Ephesian elders, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And now, Joel, The other elders would like to share some affirming words with you as well.
1: Yes, I heard it.
2: Is that working? This is not working. How about this? There we go. Uh, Yeah, would like to share the operative words. Yeah, I'm not gonna look at you. I'm not gonna get through that. So <clears throat> I'm going to read. Uh, this is the problem with being a historical thinker. Every time I look at Joel, I, I see where he was uh, compared to where he is. So, my brother Joel, so much to say, so little time. I do remember an eager, wide-eyed young man with funny glasses that you didn't even need. Inquisitive, hungry for the gospel. So I felt led to get to know you and to walk with you. And I learned you were a total mess. You and your wife Christy had been beaten by the church, by religion, but you hadn't been broken. And I believe the Spirit knit us together around your kitchen table, even though I had long hair and Christy was confused by that. I thought of you like a son who needed guidance, so I chose to walk with you. And through walking with you, I came to know a young man who loved Jesus, And walked in faith you left your religion your vocation many of your relationships behind in pursuit of the gospel so I pray that you maintain that heart posture both you and Christy in the years that you have to display and declare God's glorious gospel so we come to now (laughs) through the years The Son has become my brother, my confidant, my friend. It is with deep joy that I welcome you to be brothers in arms for God's church here at Summit Limestone. So I charge you with this. Never forget the broken road that you've traveled for it allows you to relate well to those on the same road. Remember your first love, Jesus the King, who lived and died for you. Love your family with a prodigal love, lavishly. Pour yourself out for the church while knowing when to retreat and to rest. And Keep men in your life who will speak truth to you, the hard truth you don't want to hear. And follow the Spirit wherever he leads you, knowing that he equips those that he calls. Shalom to you, my brother.
1: I I also wrote out what I'm going (laughs) to say. I've gotten to work a lot more closely with you uh, than most people here know you. Here's what I wrote, Joel. You're a man that loves Jesus and your family deeply. And that's a real simple thing to say, but to watch it be worked out in real life is a testimony because I don't see it all the time. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy who is new to pastoring a church, do not let anyone look down on your youth. I became an elder when I was younger than you are. And I think you're in a much better place than I was. And God is especially gracious to me. And so I look forward to him being faithful with you. I have no doubts with you. As long as you stay faithful to him and follow him. You're a natural leader. Many people talk a good game. But if you turn around and nobody's following you, you're not a leader. And people follow you. I think that's because you follow God so closely. You love people and you care about them. You have a heart for the hurting, a passion for reconciliation, and this relentless energy for pouring out your life into others. And it's all because of your, de- your desire to see King Jesus, his name and his fame spread, both locally and around the globe. Um... I work with you every day. I see regularly how the Lord is continuing to work in you and through you. And I found that it is rare, it's incredibly rare, come on Chris, it is incredibly rare in a man to see such passion and talent and competency coupled with humility and a teachable heart. Those don't usually go together. And as of today, you're part of a plurality of men that desire to give their lives for Jesus' church. And that puts your life on display, and it puts a target on your back. that's why we say it's not a light call. And so I simply say with Joey, honor the call. Well, by remembering whose church it is and who's building it, I'm excited for you. For the, summit of, for, the, for the future of Summit, and for what you'll bring to the, the table as God continues to work in you. Thanks. I'll give you a hug on that one.
3: Joel, I I've, I've just love seeing you grow so much. Um, and, you know, I, I come from the perspective of marriage and family. I love seeing marriages grow. I love seeing marriages flourish. And I love watching, you and Christy, how much you love your wife. And, and when I read in 1 Timothy 3, 2, when it talks about what an elder is, the second thing it says is an overseer must devote, uh, must be above reproach, and this says a husband of one wife. And then it continues right on from there, it says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his household well, how can he care for God's church? And I see you pouring into your kids just in everyday life when you just bring God into everything, no matter what you're doing. Like we talk about the rhythms of life. You pull God into the rhythms of life with your family. And, and I love seeing that. It's not a, it's not a um, teaching your children, sitting down and teaching the Bible, although that's part of it. You're, t- t- you're teaching them through, through God's creation, through situations that happen. You're doing it in, in everyday walk of life. And I've seen that same thing with you as far as how you... I call you a discipler. You, you um, I love seeing how you truly disciple those to make disciples. You, you epitomize that for, for ourselves, even as elders, to push us toward discipling others well. And I appreciate that for you. Mm. I love you for that. And... Um, because the other part of it is like Titus one, one nine. Don't have my glasses on. He must hold. He must uh, hold firm to the trustworthy word, as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction to sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And I see you as a lover of the word, the truth of the word. You delve into the word. You want to make sure that you're understanding the truth of the word, and you want others to know that as well. So I love seeing those two go together. Where you love God's word so well that you want to be able to teach others about it. And you don't do it just by teaching them. You do it through how you live your life. So I appreciate that of you. So thank you.
2: That's right. okay. Father and Holy God, we, um, we rejoice this morning that we're able to gather with your people in your house. Uh, Father, that we are... Publicly recognizing your call on Joel's life, and therefore on his family's life, to shepherd your people. Father, I pray that in the years to come, Father, that they just grow deeper, not just in in knowledge and truth of who you are, but Father, in love with you. Father, let their relationship with you deepen, deepen in the hard times, because there will be valleys, and there will be summits. So i help them to continue to to follow you, um, even into the hard places, to see your justice um, displayed in all areas of of life and in community and in society, um, that you may be made known in your renown, Father, would be made more famous uh, in the neighborhoods and in the nations. So, Father, we ask for your protection over Joel and his family. Father, we ask that you give them the courage they need to simply go up, continue to guide them, let them continue to surrender, and love you well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, guys. As we move forward, we've got, I want to let Joel say just a couple things, and then we'll move on to
4: the next part of the, the service. I guess I should speak into this. Um, I wrote out um, what I was gonna say as well because I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this, Uh, but I'm gonna try. So hey, Summit Crossing family. Uh, You know that here at Summit Crossing, we value transparency and honesty. And so I wanted to take a moment and share with each of you some thoughts and information regarding some things that God has been doing in mine and my wife, Christy's heart over the past year or so. Um, First, I wanna start by saying thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have the humble honor of serving you as a part of the elder team here at summit crossing this is not something i take lightly and i want you to know that by the grace of god i commit to serving each of you faithfully as an under shepherd of our chief shepherd king jesus uh, we love each of you and we don't say this lightly but as an elder team we are willing to be poured out as a sacrificial offering for the sake of your souls as christ was poured out for the sake of ours our journey to this day has been quite a ride some of you may know our story and some of you may not But when we came to Summit Crossing, we came hurting, tired, beat up, and completely burnt out by the emptiness of religion. Little did we know that in God's sovereign plan, he had sent us to the exact right place. As we became a part of the Summit Crossing family, we were slowly and consistently cared for, shepherded, mentored, discipled, and nurtured back to spiritual and emotional health. And after some time, God gave us the honor of turning around and faithfully pouring back our hearts to see the kingdom advance here locally into the nations by my serving on staff here at Summit Crossing. During that time, we've had the privilege of helping many who, just like us, were once tired and hurt by the emptiness of religion, now experience the freedom, joy, and abundant life that can only be found in the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. By God's grace, we believe we have served, not perfectly, by any means, but faithfully. We have indeed been honored and humbled to be a part of this church family and we absolutely love every single one of you that make up Summit Crossing Limestone. It's not about the name Summit Crossing, it's about each of you, your beautiful faces, and the unity we have as we join with God on his mission. This local church family in little old Athens, Alabama has truly become our family. And as you know, Summit Crossing cares deeply about seeing disciples made We believe that one of the most effective ways to see that happen is the God-ordained means of church planning, both locally and globally. And when we became a part of the Summit Crossing family over five years ago, we were introduced to this incredible culture that valued sending out laborers for the kingdom. And since that time, our hearts have come to be fully aligned with this vision. Over the years, we have grown immensely, not only as human beings, but as followers of Jesus who desire to see him made famous to the ends of the earth, and personally, I've learned a lot about myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, and what success and failure look like for me as a servant leader of God's people. While we've always been perfectly content serving and laboring in the roles God has called us to here, over the last couple of years there have been moments where I've thought in the back of my mind that there was a desire to explore a call regarding church planting. But since we were so fulfilled and satisfied in where God had us, I always ignored the thought. But more and more, the idea continued to rise to the surface. And about nine months ago, my wife and I decided to enter into a season of actively praying and seeking the Spirit, having no idea where this process might lead. We did not begin this journey of prayer alone. We sought outside affirmation and wisdom from mentors and peers, asking them to help us as we pursued clarity. We spent much time in prayer, seeking the Holy Spirit's direction, and we explored the mission of God as laid out in Scripture, asking the specific part that He was calling us to play. As we neared the end of 2018, it became clear to my wife and me that this was more than just a passing thought. We became convinced that this was a work of God. Through multiple conversations with trusted men, both inside and outside the body of Summit Crossing, God affirmed that this was his work and that we were called to lead a church plant at some point in the future. I could elaborate more fully as to how we've arrived at the specifics, but I'll just get to what I'm wanting to share. And we're actively working toward leading a church plant in Decatur, Alabama, And our goal is to launch Sunday gatherings by the end of the summer of next year, 2020. Obviously, this means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We are very well connected here within our church family, and that makes this transition process all that more painful. However, we are trusting God with His church, and we are utterly confident that He will take care of the necessary details that need to be worked out over the next 12 to 18 months. Though there are still some questions to be answered in regards to replacing the various roles that i currently serve in myself and the elders are expending the necessary energy toward laying out a healthy plan of transition and we've already seen god working to ensure the care of his bride here in athens alabama we are so excited about what the future holds for each of you as well as the people god is already raising up in decatur to be a part of kingdom advancement here in north alabama so i want to thank you so much for hearing our hearts regarding this journey one of the hardest things about coming to this decision has been that it means distance in relationships that literally mean the world to us. My wife and I have wept at multiple times when we face the reality that following Jesus in this manner, meant leaving a people and a city that we absolutely love. When the day comes for us to physically move as a family, we will be leaving a piece of our hearts here in this city and among you all. While there will be sadness in this journey, my hope is in Jesus. Church, we will have all of eternity in the new creation to hang out together, build kingdoms together, play games together, sing songs together, and be worshipers of Jesus through every single moment. In the city of Athens, thank God, will be made new. No more division, no more pain, no more questions, no more fear, no more rebellion, no more prejudice, no more judgment, and no more sin. So before I give this back to Jamie, I wanted to share answers to just a couple questions that we anticipate you might be asking as a result of this announcement. So first, what does this mean about my role as the pastor of missional life? Currently, this role will not change. I'll still be working closely with our missional community leaders to equip them and I'm super encouraged about the direction and health of our missional communities here at Summit Crossing. As an elder team, we've already have idea, we have already have a few ideas regarding my transitioning out of this role, and we're currently seeking clarity about what this will look like, and we will keep you updated throughout this journey as we have confidence in regards to the timing and specifics. Secondly, what does this mean about my other two roles, pastor of student discipleship and pastor of creative arts? As with mission, pastor of missional life, these roles are not currently changing, and we've already begun the process of forming a plan of transition for these two areas. Clearly, God has been working, we've seen that, and we're growing in excitement about what he's going to do. And again, we'll keep you updated as we have more clarity, especially those of you that are most affected by the leadership in these areas. And lastly, what does this mean regarding my new role as a part of the elder team? Again, currently, this role does not change. I need you to hear that I am fully committed to serving and shepherding the people here at Summit Crossing Limestone as a part of this team until the day we fully transition out, and we will communicate that day very clearly. When I entered the process of discerning the call to eldership, I had no idea God was going to do what he has done in our hearts regarding church planting. The more formal elder process, which I began over two years ago, and the informal process of discerning God's call regarding church planting, which I started around nine months ago, were two separate things started at two separate times, but I believe God has sovereignly affirmed both around the same time. I'm convinced that one of the reasons for my being raised up and called to serve as an elder during the season of transition is to give me a greater purpose and sense of responsibility for the care of the body here at Summit Crossing as this call is not one I take lightly. And I've already felt and seen this work out tangibly in many ways. I know there might be more questions you have that we did not anticipate and we completely understand that. And I'll be in the back after the service today to answer any of those questions regarding my current roles or the church plant and all of the other elders are 100% available as well to answer any questions. And for those of you who may be interested in being a part of our church planning journey by either praying for us, being a financial partner, or by going with us, I will share with you all what that might look like as we solidify more details. But for now, you can all simply be praying for myself and others that are actively working toward this end. That being said, if you have immediate questions or just want to hear more, please, again, feel free to see me in the back after the service, and I would love to share with you what God is doing. So again, church family, thank you for giving me the freedom to be transparent and honest, for allowing us to share our hearts. I love you all. And consider it a great honor to serve alongside you. I want to close with this verse of encouragement from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you, church.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Come up here. Come here.
1: Church planning ain't for the faint of heart, it hurts as much as it's exciting. Um, and that's, that's a long way away. I mean, I could be a different person by then. All right? I hope to be. Joel has been, he started as our janitor, became our creative director, our student pastor, our missional community pastor, and now he's going to be our first church planter. Um, we've planted and supported church plants, and we've never actually, after actually we were one, but I've never sent one out, so this is going to be generation number two. Which is a big deal. That means it's in our DNA, literally, and so we are to, to celebrate that. We affirm that in you as much as I hate it, I love it, and uh, yeah, I love you, man. All right. Now, here's what you're really asking: How is Jamie gonna get a sermon done in 15 minutes? I know that's really the question on your minds, and I'm about to do some magic. Now, I have, I have whittled this thing down and whittled it down, and I am way under my word count where I normally am, and it's still going to kill you. But I'm going to do my best, all right? So so let's get together. We're in, math, well, uh, in Mark 11, all right? Mark 11, it's Palm Sunday, it's Triumphal Entry. All right. So follow, follow where we're going. We're getting ready for Easter, but we've got to go through the valley first. And we're going to talk about that uh, as well. Um, I've got a truck, my old truck, it sits outside. And, and whenever uh, the weather gets cold and it gets frosty, um, most people that have since go out and crank their car, and they put the defrost on, and they go back inside, and they wait about 10 minutes and finish doing other things because they're efficient and effective people. I, on the other hand, forget about it. Every time I go out, I claw my door open, I get my key in there and I turn it on, and then I turn on the de- defrost, and I think, it's more important that I get going than it is I get going safely, right? Because it's early, I mean, it's, you know, nobody's out on the road, I- I'll be fine. And so I, I try to scrape just a little bit off and I-, I get like a little porthole. And so I'll just drive down, I know nobody's out there because I'm, I'm, I can do this, y'all can't do this, right? Y'all wouldn't do this safely, but I'm able to do this, and and I I think. And and I drive down the street, and I'm looking, and I can't see very much, right? And it's this limited view through my windshield. That's exactly what's happening as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. I'm not advocating we drive, looking through a porthole. I'm just saying it happened once, one time, about 20 years ago. Yeah. All right. So that, that's what we're seeing. And so what, what we're, we, we want to see is that as Jesus walks to Jerusalem, he's misunderstood. He's misunderstood by his disciples. He's misunderstood by the people that are following him. He's misunderstood by the authorities. And so Mark perfectly, uh, where we are in Mark, perfectly lines up with our church calendar uh, on the triumphal entry today. So if you're in Mark 11, here are the three points we've got today. Number one, an unexpected king. Number two, an unexpected kingdom. And number three, an unexpected return. right, so the unexpected God, the the triumphal entry, is when Jesus comes to Jerusalem to fulfill what he came to earth to do, namely to die and to rise again, to save a people for himself. So let's set the scene of what's going on. Jesus has been traveling all over the country, healing, performing exorcisms and miracles, instilling storms Right? He's gathered a reputation as a great prophet, uh, an amazing teacher that teaches as though one, as he had authority and not like the scribes. And it's the week of Passover. Passover is this huge holiday in Israel. And it celebrates the liberation of the children of Egypt or the children of Israel from the land of Egypt where they were in slavery. They're, they're coming out and they celebrate this every year. Now here's what I want you to think about. If you remember when mark was written israel was under oppression from rome they didn't like that that they were under rome now imagine if the u.s was conquered by its enemies pick one so we'll say north korea all right what if north korea was able to somehow some way oppress us to to conquer us and so we live in this oppressed life that it wasn't what it wasn't like what it used to be, and, and, and we don't complain about health care and taxes anymore. We complain about our safety and our children and what our future is going to look like, and, and nobody has a job, and it, and, it, and it starts to look like North Korea because we're now ruled by our enemies. And then July the 4th rolls around, and we celebrate Independence Day while we are ruled by our enemies. You start to see the tension that's kind of happening in in Israel right now. That's what's happening. They're celebrating being freed while they're not. And so it's a tense week. And Jesus is chosen to come to town right during this time. It's appointed. And he's on the outskirts of town, and and, and he's on the Mount of Olives just east of Jerusalem, and he he knows the prophecies, and so he sends a couple of his disciples into the village ahead to get a vehicle for him, a donkey, all right? In verse 2 uh, of chapter 11, he says, immediately as you enter it, the, talking about the, the village, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anybody says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So basically, if you could, just go borrow somebody's car. They may think you're stealing it. Go borrow that. And if Anybody gives you any trouble, just tell them, hey, the Lord has need of it. He'll bring it back. And, you know, they'll be like, no, okay, no problem, right? So either Jesus has made previous arrangements, or this is a glimpse of his sovereign knowledge, like we had last week when he told the disciples that he was going to go, and and when he goes into Jerusalem, they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. He's very specific on what was going to happen. He just knows. It's just one of those step out and it's a God moment, and then back. Either way, Jesus knows the, the prophecy. It's from, from Zechariah 9.9. 9. Let's put that on the, on, the, on the screen there. nine. And, and I, I went through 10. This is a prophecy. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt and the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow uh, sh- shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. Prince of Peace. And his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples went and they found this donkey, and, and, as he said, and they answered, and when there were questions, as he, as he said, and so they brought it to Jesus without a problem. And he didn't need that for transportation. He's walking everywhere all over the country, right? Like, he's not tired all of a sudden. He's like, hey, this is making a statement. No longer is Jesus heal somebody. Hey, hey, hey don't tell anybody or cast out a demon say don't tell anybody don't tell anybody now he's saying I'm here I'm here tell everyone the secret is no longer under wraps and he was letting everybody know that even though it would lead directly to his death he's establishing that he is the Messiah to the crowd and so riding on a donkey something that was done as a symbol of peace if you come on a war horse, you're coming for war. If you come on a donkey, you're coming in peace because they don't get videos and clips and commercials. You had to know, what is the king doing? What is, this, what is this person saying? And so Jesus is saying, I'm, this is, I'm a different kind of king. And so he, he approaches the city on a donkey with this ragtag bunch of followers and people are excited nonetheless. And we see in verses seven through 10 that they're throwing their cloaks on the ground and they're spreading palm branches And other leafy branches on the ground. And this is something you did when royalty came to town, when people that were important, because the the roads are dusty. I've been in Nepal, the dust is sometimes six inches thick. It's ridiculous. I can't even imagine it. That's why you wear bandanas over your nose, because you're just breathing in dirt and dust all the time. So they would throw out uh, their, their cloaks and their branches, and they were getting excited. There's an example of this in 2 Kings with with Jehu when when he's coming to town. And and they're saying things like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the scholars tell us that there couldn't have been too many people there, though. Couldn't have been too many people because there would have been a Roman presence. Because you can imagine when a lot of people are getting excited and there might be a Messiah coming to town, there might be an uprising. There might be a rebellion. And so the Roman soldiers, they, they had to be ready for that. And so there's no Roman presence here. And nobody brought it up in Jesus' trial. When he was on trial, nobody said anything about this at all. So it's kind of this isolated event that's just kind of siloed right there in Scripture. And so we have this small but excited group of people who see Jesus as a great prophet. The disciples see him as a Messiah, but they don't understand what kind of Messiah. The crowd sees him as this great prophet and teacher. and, And Rome is kind of expecting this rebellion arising up of the people. There's a lot going on here. And so Jesus and his group are entering Jerusalem from the east, which is prophetic as well from the book of Ezekiel. Now at that similar time this week, as preparations are ramping up for Passover, we know that Pilate's coming to town too. Because he's responsible. He is in the seat of a prefect over Judea. And a Roman soldier's presence is always increased during a time of festival because of the possibility of uprising. They have to double, triple their guards. They have to present a united front. And so Pilate would have traveled around the city on a war horse, full armor, helmet shining in the sun, proclaiming his superiority and reminding Israel of who was in power. He'd be fully armed, kind of like the passage we read in in Zechariah, with chariots, that would kind of be the the, the tanks, of Rome, and then uh, he'd have uh, the wh- war horses, or kind of the Black Hawk helicopters, battle bows, which I guess are the machine guns, M16, general artillery. He would have an entire army that expressed power, control, and dominance to remind Israel who was in control. See the picture? It's a showdown. One power against another, one king against another. Pilot on a war horse, Jesus on a donkey. Two different kinds of leaders, culminating in the death of one. One representing the world and its ideas of power and greatness and leadership, and the other representing its simultaneous holding together intention, majesty, and meekness as the king sits on a donkey. All the makings of a good movie, except it's better. He's saying, I am a king, but I'm not anything like you'd ever expect. He's the lion and the lamb saddled on a donkey all at the same time. An unexpected kingdom, number two. So we see the, the people know that something special is happening. That's why the cl- crowds are, are laying down palm branches and cloaks and shouting out and, and welcomes and, and praises. And, and Mark says that they were singing songs like, Hosanna blesses the name of he who comes in the name of the Lord and blesses the coming kingdom of our father David. You know what the word Hosanna means? We just sang it. Hosanna, I have no idea what this means, right? I mean, that was the first time I sang it. I was thinking, I hope this means something right and good because I have no idea what I'm saying right here and and I'm just being led around, right? It, It does. What it means is save us, save now. There's an urgency that's attached to it. It's like, we need you, we're under Roman oppression. We need you, save us, save us, son of David, a cry for rebellion and the crowd's excited it's passover and maybe jesus will do for us what moses did for our forefathers deliver us free us do it again and mark is very specific look at look at the verse mark is very specific on how he records what the crowd is saying blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father david did jesus say that no Jesus never said that. He said, prepare for the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. He was not coming to restore the good old days of King David. They thought he was. He didn't come to tweak the earthly Israelite kingdom by granting independence, setting up another monarchy, and expelling the Romans from Israel just so we could do it again. The Old Testament is fairly obvious that it ain't going to work. That's why his kingdom's unexpected. They're expecting something similar to the kingdom they were in now, except where they get to run the show, and they get to decide what to do. And Jesus said, I didn't come for that. And so he gets into Jerusalem. We realize that there's more confusion than certainty because they're saying the kingdom of our father David. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God. The way that he wants to bring it in. And so there's this confusion uh, and uncertainty. Is he the Messiah? Is he just a great teacher? We don't really know. Jesus is saying that he's explicitly the Messiah. And Mark presents this grand arrival with this huge anti-tax. This anti moment. He comes in and he gets to Jerusalem. Look at verse 11. This is totally not what you expect. But Mark is making a statement. He says, and he, being Jesus, entered Jerusalem. Verse eleven, and he went into the temple, and he looked around at everything, and it was already his, and as it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. <laughs> We're expecting this huge fanfare, right? Oh, he's here, and he's coming. The Messiah's back, and he's come to the temple. This lets us know the people didn't really understand what was happening. They didn't understand the king. They didn't understand the can- the, the kingdom. The interest, his interest to Jerusalem is quiet. The temple is shut down. It's all its activities. They weren't there for his visitation. Matthew tells us that. So what's so remarkable about the Messiah coming to Jerusalem isn't what happens when he gets there. It's what doesn't happen. This huge buildup. Roman soldiers should be all kind of swarming around and this grand reception and a showdown and then nothing they weren't understood the temple was quiet they missed their king and his unexpected return number three the unexpected return See, because in ezekiel 10 10 and 11 really but verse 18 kind of hones in on it we read that the glory of the lord his presence it leaves the temple and it goes out into the east and that's where god dwelt with his people was in the temple and he finally chose to leave after his continual rejection. And then, but in Malachi 3, which is the last book of the Old Testament in the English Bible, right? Right before Matthew, we read this in, in chapter 3, verse 1. It said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. We've talked about that. And then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's coming back to the temple. We also read in Ezekiel 43, verse 4, the same idea that Ezekiel is having this vision of the future. And he says that the glory of the Lord is going to come again. It's going to enter the temple from the east. What are you saying, Jamie? When Jesus came to Jerusalem, it was the first time since the Old Testament where God departed from the temple that this is his recorded return. God has now returned as Jesus, the sovereign Lord, Not only is his return unexpected, but what he found disturbed him. It's no longer his permanent dwelling place, and and it would be made clear when the veil is torn from the top to the bottom during the crucifixion that this is not where he lives anymore. Acts 2 makes that clear that we become the temple. Jesus is more than a political leader, a military leader, a great prophet, a teacher, a miracle worker, or a better king. He came for a bigger purpose than freeing His people from Rome or even fixing the religious system. He didn't come to tweak anything. He came to replace it. To blow it up. And to bring a new one. And that's why majesty came in meekness on a donkey. Jesus did something that no other prophet had done before. See, the prophets of the Old Testament had all healed before. They had predicted nature or either and told nature what to do they kind of controlled nature they had even displayed uh um, you know bringing people back from the dead that all happened in the old testament but no one had ever made the blind see and if you remember the first healing of the blind man in chapter 8 jesus touched him in mark and he touched his eyes and he said i see i uh people as as ministries walking right you remember that one and and he didn't see clearly and jesus had to touch him again and we, we were like, well, no, Jesus wasn't having an off day. It wasn't, you know, whoops, my bad. I, I didn't use both hands when I did. That was on purpose because the next story Mark tells us is the disciples, he said to them, he said, uh, who do you say that I am? And They said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And he says, that's right. But they had him as a, a, a Messiah that was going to come as a military or a political leader, right? Not the way that he was coming. They didn't understand. They didn't see Jesus clearly just like the blind man. Last week we had blind Bartimaeus him chapter 10 again jesus heals him the next story is the triumphal entry once again it's not just the disciples now it's all the people that don't see jesus clearly jesus is the one that opens our eyes that's what mark is saying you see who I am, and we healed. Mark is saying to his reader, yes, he is the Messiah, but, but no one yet knows what that means. They just think that they do. They missed him. Will you? He doesn't want you to miss Jesus. In fact, in John 12, verse 16, Jesus, uh, uh, John records this. His disciples, talking about Jesus, did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified... Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, Jesus came to free all who would believe in him from the bigger cosmic enemy of sin and death. That's why he came. Do we really understand the kingdom of God? Or are we trying to fit Jesus into our kingdom and let him be the king of our kingdom? Do we really live as citizens in his kingdom? Or have we been fooled and deceived into thinking we see Jesus as he is when it's really just as we want him to be? Are you going to miss him like Jerusalem? Are you going to choose his kingdom? How's that work? I don't understand. We do it every day. We have opportunities every day. At work, if you have an opportunity to fudge some numbers on the spreadsheet or, or make a little extra money. When you come home from work, maybe you just want to sit in your recliner and you've got four kids that they don't know you're, you've are you been working all day and you're worn out and, and they want dad or they want mom and you just want to phone it in. When You're in a discussion with your spouse and what comes to your mind is not... It's less than kind. And you're deciding it'll feel really good if I get to say this. I've been wanting to say this for a long time. Or, do you realize what you're about to do and the harm that it can cause. When you're at school and you have an opportunity to cheat or to think or to post questionable content on Snapchat, whose kingdom do you choose? Your version of the kingdom or Jesus's? And so what we say is let's run to Christ together realizing that no other king can make our eyes see and no other king could defeat sin and death while riding into town on a donkey let's pray together we'll put three directives up on the screen number one is simply pray for god we get the worship team to come on here pray for god to open our eyes to his kingdom and our hearts to follow him with everything we've got Number two, that we would thank God that though we don't deserve to be in His kingdom, He invites you. And then finally, three, I know all of you know whether your children go to Athens or not, high school, that we're part of a community. Whether you live in the outskirts or not, we're all affected. And so I just ask you to pray for much divisiveness that's happened, for much out of Kids want to know, do we go to school? Do we not go to school? Parents want wisdom, discernment. How do we deal with this? Our friends don't treat us the same. We're different, everything. And it's just a lot of confusion with, with a lot of helpless feelings, hopeless feelings, and, and not knowing how to address things. Okay, so we just want God to move right now. Action later, prayer now. And so let's just pray for leadership and teachers, students and parents. Because this next week will be difficult on multiple levels. I'll spend a couple minutes. I'm going to close in prayer. You keep praying if you're praying, and I'll lead us through into the Lord's Supper. Let's do that together.